Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. We are back from a much-needed vacation. Short, but needed. It was short, but I was exhausted. I think that says a lot about your physical condition more than the vacation. I don't think so. I was exhausted. I can't. I, I, I just can't. You have to be able to wander around. We wandered around a lot. Yes. And it was fabulous. It was very good, but we wandered around a lot and it was exhausting, but it was good. We we You had also a very wore good... the wrong shoes. Those were the shoes I thought were gonna be the best option for this. And you discovered that you were wrong. You probably don't have a shoes that are a better option for this. We need to think about that. So but we are back. Um because we were on vacation, we actually did not watch the race in Imola. And on one hand, I'm a little disappointed. And on the other, from everything I hear, it's kind of a boring race. It literally, today I learned. Today, right now, it dawned on me that we never even watched it recorded. We normally like rush back and sit down and watch those things. We've had such a week mm -hmm. since then that we haven't even watched <clears throat> it in post. Yeah. And I wasn't rushing because I, I, I heard it wasn't a great race. It sounds like actually qualifying and maybe the sprint was better than the race itself. Maybe. Okay. But I don't I don't know because I will freely admit that I was in such vacation mode last weekend that <clears throat> I barely recognized that we had a race. Well, it was we we realized what was it? Friday evening, we remembered, oh yeah, it's a sprint weekend. We need to get our picks in. Yeah. That was a rush to get our picks in. And I was wrong in my picks. I mean, I'm still ahead of you, so that's well, really I all that matters. I didn't even look to see where I was, because when I heard the results, I was like, yeah, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in third in our fantasy league. Um, in first <clears throat> is our good friend, Jim who is basically kicking all of our butts. What is up with that? Because what's really sad is he did not do well last season. So how did he suddenly get good? Yeah. And in second place is actually Phil's wife. So, so was... Phil's wife is beating Phil. <clears throat> and speaking of Phil, because we have to mention Phil. Before yes. we get started, we have to mention Phil. Um, we have to send out a very warm congratulations and wish our audience's resident smart guy <laughs> the, the best of luck and that he enjoys his retirement. I know. I still can't believe that he's retired. <laughs> like... I don't know, because it just seems like we shouldn't know people that are fully retired yet. But yet we're starting to get in that age where people like near our age are fully retired. So congratulations and best of luck. Enjoy your retirement. And may Vicky not kill you. Yes. There, there, there's your, your wishes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yes. But uh, very, very happy for him. It was really nice to see his this is my final day in the working world post so that was cool um more f1 for him maybe he'll like start following f1 he'll be our roving reporter he'll maybe he won't race. be our resident smart guy anymore he'll just be our roving reporter he could go to a race he could go to more than one race he could i bet he's gonna go to miami i mean he's retired what, what better retirement gift would there be than going to miami well, we don't want to jump ahead to Miami just yet. Oh. Well, I don't want to talk about Miami, Miami, because I kind of want to deny that it exists. But I'm thinking, you know, I mean, we never heard <clears throat> what Phil got as a retirement gift. Maybe he got a race. I know he got really excited about Vegas because he's Vegas adjacent. adjacent. So we shall see. So let's talk about Formula One and some things that have actually happened we were aware of as opposed to the race that we missed completely. I cannot believe we are just starting a podcast on Formula One where we just admitted that we've totally and completely ignored a race. 
you you realize what that says about us. Well, you know how okay. How many times did F one go to Paul Ricard and we could have ignored the race completely and it wouldn't have changed anything. Well there And is, again, from what I hear, this wasn't a particularly good race, but I have other stuff to talk about. Well, go ahead and talk about Because we almost never talk about the races. Well, Yes, but we almost always have watched the race. We talk and, about peripheral stuff to the races. Okay, so what peripheral stuff are you sharing We're with us tonight? We're going right out to the periphery here. Because for reasons that I honestly don't understand. Okay. It must... The only thing I can think of is that maybe it was a slow news day or CNN's quest means business was having problems booking guests or something. I don't know. Because... Nikita Mazepin was a guest and interviewed recently on CNN's Quest Means Business, um, where he played down any suggestion that his position over the Russian war would be held against him in a potential comeback to F1. Interesting. So what he said was... Everybody has a right to speak or not to speak. And the FIA, the highest governing body, has enabled me to compete as long as I'm neutral. But I would say the biggest issue here is coming back to the sport where teams are allowed to be keeping sponsorship money without fulfilling the contract and even asking for more, even though they say they don't want money from Russia. So I'm not sure, but the sport's values need to be evaluated for me after this. So... Let's back up first, because I'm sorry. Nikita Mazepin can, can claim to be neutral all he wants, but it does not negate the fact that his dad is considered a close confidant of Vladimir Putin and had lunch with Vladimir Putin, if not on the day of, not long after the invasion of Ukraine, and he did it at the Kremlin. He is not a neutral person. Okay, but, <clears throat> but, but wait. At great risk of being told that I am defending a Mazepin, Nikita is a grown-up reaching the age of majority, and he is not his father. So, by definition... Just because his daddy had lunch with Putin at the Kremlin as Putin was invading Ukraine, theoretically, one could argue, poorly, that that was daddy and not Nikita. One could argue that if it was, say, Daniel Ricardo, Orlando Norris, both of which it is well known have set up their own residences and their own lives independent of the rest of their family. You know, Daniel Ricardo so far, who, who is, yes, the family is in Australia, but he hasn't been back to Australia in, well, he, this year was the first year he went back to Australia in like two years. He lives in L.A. Okay. So... And to and, be clear, and he's worse. not estranged from his parents. And, and he's not estranged from his parents either. And, and it's also very well known in and out of the paddock that Nikita and Dimitri are a package deal. See, that is the line that you have to draw. It's not daddy had <clears throat> lunch with Putin. That's not, the, that's not what you go after. It's... Nikita is inexplicably linked to his father because he's not an independent adult. Exactly. But you have to you have to draw that extra line because <clears throat> just because daddy did something doesn't necessarily shine a bad light on Nikita until you tie it with a bow. And the fact that Nikita and Dimitri are a package deal. Well, and additionally, we cannot forget that in the list of sanctions... Nikita has been sanctioned independently of his father and your Cali. Mm -hmm. So we also have to like add that into the, the mix. But yes, I get their package deal, but 
like I said, you gotta make sure you tie up all of it with a bow. Lest somebody misquote some piece of you. So the interviewer who was speaking, and and I don't even know who the interviewer was, but the interviewer who was speaking with Nikita, obviously fairly sympathetically, for reasons that I don't understand, um, asked Nikita what, you know, how it looked about the potential for a return to Formula One for him. And he said, it's difficult to say at this moment in time because I'm very wary that my issue is that I've lost a job. I was trying to get to F1 for 17 years and then I eventually got there. But it's a very minor issue if you compare to the big things that are going on in the world right now. Of course, I would love to get back to the sport. I feel that I've got a lot of unfinished business there. But I need to wait until things cool down. And I don't even know who I can get back to because, you know, Haas has obviously done what they did with playing not the cleanest game, in my opinion. But it's different for me. Yeah, no. It's pr- Your future in F1 is pretty dang clear. The only possible way that you would ever get a seat in Formula 1 ever again is if the sanctions got lifted and a team was truly, 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 truly desperate. Almost the level that Haas was last year. Well, okay. Um, if <clears throat> if James Bond taught us nothing, we should never, <laughs> never say, say never, never again. again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, however... That said, I would argue that Nikita is fully in control of whether or not he gets a returning race seat at any level in racing. Because, I mean, he may not actually, like, remove all of the Russia stuff, remove all of the arrogance stuff, remove Mm -hmm. all of the money stuff. Sure. He may not actually be good enough to drive in 401. That's the thing. So, but... He's not driving anywhere right now, which is probably also a good thing. But he has the ability to get a race seat because, to be honest, and it pains me to say this in my out loud voice, he may be a better racing driver than me. So, he But possi- I want to back up a bit because, yes, he is an independent person. However, the fact that no team in any series has any interest in signing him is the answer right there. Well, okay, but... He does not have the talent. Everyone's recognized that. That's why he has no future. But here's the... So the question that has to get begged is at what level does he not have the talent? And I hear he's he's an arrogant... And if he was... He rose up... To have talent at some level. He's got some level of talent. We, we have to get there. And He doesn't though. Every, every step that he has made. He, he is not one series. Every step that he has been made. Has been solely through the funding of his race seat. That's how he got where he is. He was never one unlike a George Russell. Or a Lando Norris. Or... Um, and Esteban Ocon that was tapped as a promising up-and-comer in the Junior Series. He was never classified that way. He only made it up and only had his seats because Daddy was buying them. And the fact that now Daddy's money is no good, he can't get there on talent because he never was able to get there on talent. All right, well, maybe he should start exploring a different career. Possibly. Actually, I think the series he needs to look into is Russian touring cars. I don't know if that series exists, but given the fact that they've been cut out of everything else, that might be the way that Russia gets motorsport. (laughs) You're hoping it's just as crash and banging as German touring cars? Well, other, well, that and it's going to be probably with like Volgas and, and they're going to break down every so often. Yeah. It, it, you know, you need 
to recommend this as a Top Gear special yeah. event. Not that they do Russia, because that would be forbidden, because it's, you know, mm-hmm. at war. But they could do a whole Eastern Bloc touring car deal with the Eastern Bloc cars. And it's not necessarily knocking them out like the German cars where they go crashy-bangy, but just see if they last. Well, to some extent, wasn't that James May's Cars of Cars of the People? It was a little bit, but they did one thing that they did something in the in behind the Iron Curtain with one of like the it was a it was a steel. I think they car. went to like Azerbaijan or something. And, but they pulled they pulled some Eastern Bloc car that was like made out of steel versus aluminum, so it was so super heavy its brakes couldn't stop it. Oh well, they've done a they've done a couple of those. Yeah, because that those were really intensely great ideas uh, from the eastern block ah aren't we glad that curtain came down yeah (laughs) so moving on a little bit because the other side of the coin here um gunther steiner has been asked about you know what haas is going to be doing about more money some new sponsors somebody to replace your cali and their blood money Mm -hmm. that's where we're going now um, <laughs> so, and as you recall, and we we talked about this two shows ago, your Cali went to Haas and said, "Hey, we pre- prepaid you for the season, and you punted us before the season started. Give us our money back." And Haas looked at them and said, "Nope, <laughs> Pax not just not just nope, but pay us more money." For loss of profit, pay us more money. Which, very bold. Um, I don't know what's going to happen there. There's obviously an ongoing legal process there. But Gunther Steiner's been asked about, you know, well, what is the team looking at for some new deals, some new sponsorship, and all of that? Gunther said, there's a lot of movement, but we don't want to jump immediately onto the next one. We want to take our time. Do our due diligence. Make a good decision. We are in a safe place at the moment. There's no point to rush anything that we maybe regret in six months' time. Which we've been saying for how many years now? <laughs> I know. I know. So I I have been thinking. You know, you know me. I'm a problem solver. I I, I strategic thinking. That that those are things I do, right? Okay. So I've been thinking. I think that Haas has proven that they are incapable of making good sponsor title sponsorship decisions. And therefore, they need to go into a conservatorship a la Britney Spears to make these uh, title sponsorship decisions for them. Because uh-huh. it's not like all of us didn't see the train wreck coming. So I think if we collectively protected Haas... I mean, to be clear, when the Rich Energy deal happened, we all looked at it and we're like, this looks really sketchy, but I guess he's got the money? Only to then find out that, well, no, actually, not only was it really sketchy, but he didn't have the money, and the guy's kind of a jerk, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then Euro Cali happened, and we're like, this seems kind of sketchy for an American team to get up cozy with the Russians, but all right, I guess. See, I'm telling you, we need a conservatorship to wrap around the title sponsor for Haas to help them slow down their decision-making process. Well, Gunther says that they've learned. Well, I'm sure, but I think Gunther needs to start proving that he has learned his lesson by making good choices, possibly with an external third party. I volunteer. I step up as tribute to help them make a better decision. So Gunther says, we are waiting for the best package. It's a combination of things. It's the best offer the best sponsor and not just doing something where you maybe take a deal today that you find out in six months you shouldn't have done that duh sometimes it's a trap you need to do it in two weeks to get ready and all that 
It's sometimes better to sit back and say, let's talk with these people correctly. Because if somebody is waiting, they can wait three or six months. It's not a rush. If the deal we think is not good enough going forward, we don't have to do a deal this year. It's not a must. We announced again a smaller sponsor today. There is stuff coming in, but it has to be right. I'm glad to hear that he's learned. I'm just not sure that I trust his decision-making process. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's not just him, though. It's Gene, too. Again? <clears throat> yeah. I think you have just proven my point. So, other bit of news. A little bit outside of Formula One. So, the Chelsea Football Club was... Actually, yeah, I think, I think it still kind of is. It's in a... Pre- protectorship right now i guess is the best way to put it because you really can't seize the team okay so the team had been owned up until oh a couple of months ago officially by roman abramovich that sounds russian yeah yeah (laughs) he he would happen to be one of those russian oligarchs he was in the very first round of russians that they sanctioned after the invasion so the team and the ownership around the team has been a bit of an issue. Okay. So, um, and and he fought it for a bit until he realized that, yeah, th- this wasn't really going to work. And if I don't find a way to unload the team, it's going to be forcibly ripped from me. And that's going to be worse. So, some folks are circling to purchase the team. Um, it's been announced that Lewis Hamilton is actually part of one of the consortiums that are looking to buy the Chelsea Football Club. Okay. Um, what's kind of interesting here is um, he he has in the past talked about his own, and he does follow football a little bit. So he's been, an, or at least he's declared his support for Arsenal, which is a rival to Chelsea. Right. So he's been asked about this of, you know, why are you going to buy Arsenal if No, buy know, Chelsea if you support Or, or why are you going to buy Chelsea if if you support Arsenal? Well, he said that really his fandom for Arsenal was born out of his sister hitting him and saying, "You have to support Arsenal." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess his sister beating on him didn't make that fanhood stick. So as a result, he's going to buy Chelsea. Or he, he's part of the group that is buying Chelsea. Um, also part of that group is um, the British Airways chairman, Martin Brome, um, who used to lead Liverpool Football Club. Uh, and Serena Williams well, we is know, part of that consortium. We before. know that Lewis and Serena are, are tight. Very good friends. Very tight. Um, I, I, I think that it speaks to Lewis's family uh, dynamic and family <laughs> focus that he would support a football club solely because his sister told him to. No, his sister would punch him. <laughs> beat him up to make sure that he supported the team. I, I think that the beating up was just, you know, the, the joys of having siblings. I mean, I wouldn't know personally, but um, nah. I, I think that that's, isn't that supposed to be part of siblinghood is getting beaten up by your sibling? Kind of. Yeah, I don't know. So one of the things that everyone was so upset about towards the end of last year is the lack of defined and consistent driver standards. Correct. Amazingly, the FIA heard and have published some driving standards. And we've certainly seen, I think, a little bit more consistent enforcement so far around driving standards. Things seem to have gotten a little bit better. We'll see if they stick. Um, but the, there has been a document put out guiding the drivers around driving standards. We've got some information from this. Actually, it's pretty good. So for overtaking on the inside of a corner, which has been an issue in the past, in order for a car being overtaken to be required to give sufficient room to an overtaking car, the overtaking car needs to have a significant portion of the car alongside the car being overtaken, and the overtaking maneuver must be done in a safe and controlled manner while enabling the car to clearly remain within the limits of the track. 
when considering what is a significant portion for an overtaking on the inside of a corner, among the various factors that will be looked at by the stewards when exercising their discretion, the stewards will consider if the overtaking car's front tires are alongside the other car by no later than the apex of the corner. So now we have something to look for in the slow-mo replays. Yeah, that's great. For overtaking outside of a corner. In order for a car being overtaken to be required to give sufficient room to an overtaking car, the overtaking car needs to have a significant portion of the car alongside the car being overtaken, and the overtaking maneuver must be done in a safe and controlled manner, while enabling the car to clearly remain within the limits of the track. When considering what is a significant portion for an overtaking on the outside of a corner, among the various factors that will be looked at by the stewards when exercising their discretion, the stewards will consider if the overtaking car is ahead of the other car from the apex of the corner. The car being overtaken must be capable of making the corner while remaining within the limits of the track. And when it comes to chicanes and S-bends, the guidelines apply similarly for each corner of the, the chicane or S-bend. So essentially what you read at the first of both of those that was actually identical yes. is the actual regulation. That is, in order, you must leave a, you know, as if a sufficient amount. The car amount, has to be there. But the car has to actually be there to leave mm-hmm. sufficient room. And both cars should be able to safely make the turn within the confines of the track. Hello, Max, stop making people eat dirt because that's his technique is push them off the track. So I think that's great. I think that's, and I assume that all of the drivers had no reaction to this. Um... Or they all said, yes, that's what we're doing. That's the way we act. No, they, they all say, we have it now. It's published. Let's stick to it. Okay, cool. So... Um, so the sprint races, we had a sprint race this weekend and that we forgot about. Yeah. The push to expand sprint races has been ongoing. And there was a meeting of the world motorsport council or, or the F1 commission. Um, they, it went through the F1 commission without a problem because the drivers, or not the drivers, the teams apparently have come to some form of an agreement to allow sprint races to expand. So this proposal then went to World Motorsport Council, the League of Super Evil. Mm-hmm. And it was expected to sail through because F1 commission said, yep, we're good. The FIA put the brakes on it. Well, wait a minute. The League of Super Evil stops something that's super evil? Yeah, but their reasoning... Not super evil? No, actually, their reasoning was kind of super evil. Okay. So word is the reason why uh, the FIA president said, yeah, you're not going to do this just yet, is because he thinks that if this gets expanded, then F1 needs to give the FIA some more money. Uh. Which, of course, has a lot of folks pissed off. Mm. Um, Now, they're calling it greed on the part of F1, and they're calling it greed on the the part of Mohammed bin Salayim as the FIA president, that he's stepping in to do this. Mohammed bin Salayim says that or, or his argument, his justification is that the added sprint races would take additional toll on the FIA personnel who do the oversight and that the compensation that they're looking for is related to the added burden that is placed on the FIA as part of their regulatory oversight over additional sessions. <sighs> it, it, it's one of those... Uh, I'm good with you stopping the the sprint races. Your reasoning doesn't work for me. Hmm. Your reasoning doesn't fly. And I, I, I find it hard to disagree with the team owner's position of, well, this is just greed. Interesting. I mean, I'm... I'm but I like the outcome, so I, I'm torn. Yeah. So, you know, this season, instead of getting the 
Verstappen-Hamilton rematch, we have gotten, and it's been fairly enjoyable, Leclerc-Verstappen battle. Yep. Um, and what we, we seem to be seeing right now, and admittedly we're, what, five races in at this point, we seem to be seeing the mutual admiration society between the two of them. And the two of them of, you know, oh, we're so happy the other one does well and playing nice and, and, and all of that stuff. I question if this is going to continue through the whole season, how long that's going to last. How long is it going to be before Max tr- continues to try and challenge well, not really continues, before Max starts to challenge Charles the way he would challenge Lewis. Mm. And he would push at Lewis the way he's... You know, when, when is that going to happen, Charles? Because I do think that we have seen very much that Max is racing Charles very differently. Well, and in essence, that kind of bothers me. It does, um, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit here because, and, and the reason why, why, because it's a whole nother conversation, some, some other stuff to talk about the next piece. It, it is a bit disturbing. Christian Horner though was asked about this and asked, you know, well, what's happening here? And, and Christian has said that I think they've grown up racing each other in karting and so on, and they know each other very well. They come from the same generation, and there is genuine respect between the two of them. Which, okay, you're, I, I could see that to some extent. However, we've seen Max and Charles go head to head in previous years mm-hmm. when Max wasn't the world champion, and Max really was kind of out of the equation for the championship, and he raced Charles kind of dirty. Yeah. Just like we've seen him do that in the past. We've seen it in Austria. We've seen it in other places that Max has pushed Charles. So what exactly is going on here? And I think some of the bigger picture is just the fact that how Mercedes and Red Bull perceive of each other. Mm. And the general attitude that permeates in both teams around each other in particular. I mean, true rivalry fashion. And I point that out from the perspective of look back this weekend and there were a lot of headlines and a lot of talk and it was made into, honestly, I think a much bigger deal than it actually was that Max Verstappen lapped Lewis Hamilton. Mm Mm-hmm. And that that was how much Mercedes has fallen. And after that had happened, hearing comments from Jos Verstappen that he enjoyed seeing it, hearing comments from Helmut Marko that maybe Lewis should have retired, taken the opportunity to retire before the start of the season, and hearing those kind of comments come out from Red Bull and any possible goodwill that you could have had toward Red Bull coming out of the end of the season should be wiped away right there. Well, not that I had any to start because, with. Because, I mean, talk about horrible sportsmanship right there. Yeah, but Red Bull's never been known for good sportsmanship. I mean, truthfully, they, they just have not. There's an attitude there. What I don't understand is that attitude <clears throat> is, seems to be against everybody at the paddock Except Ferrari. Why? No, it, it, it's against who they're fighting with. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I mean, I mean, really, if you look at the history and you look at what's happened since 2013, you know, Red Bull was on top of the world for years. And then all of a sudden, we moved to the turbo hybrid era. Renault falls apart on him and Mercedes takes over and Mercedes hands it to him consistently. And it pissed him off. And 
they have, I think, internally within that team portrayed Mercedes in particular. More than any other team, they have portrayed Mercedes in particular and Lewis Hamilton on top of it as the evil empire. Well, you have a point there. Also, keep in mind, just because the statistics matter, Red Bull was only on top for four years. Yeah. And Mercedes won eight in a row. Mm -hmm. So that's got to jaw them too in the process. I mean, that's got to tick them off. it will, and, and you add on top of it the fact that, you know, they went four years that they were on top and then went easily three to four years that they were kind of lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember, the first year that Mercedes and Lewis won the Drivers and Constructors Championships, Williams beat them. We've, we've got the clip from the... the uh, BBC getting the team bosses together in Abu Dhabi at the end and asking the team principals to uh, share, you know, one word to, to summarize the season. And Claire Williams goes, I have three. We beat Red Bull. <laughs> that had to burn. And at that point, they still had Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. And that had to burn at him. So for so long to be chasing Mercedes and to be having some pretty disastrous efforts in the process, I get it, but, I mean, talk about being sore losers, sore winners here at this point. I mean, this is... They're rubbing salt. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. this is. They're rubbing salt, and they're pointedly ignoring that it's Lewis that's struggling. Russell, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, Mercedes is struggling. Yes, all of those things. But Russell is up there. Russell's running fourth. I mean, he's holding it together. And I got to give Russell a lot of credit for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted, wanted to, to point out the comments that, that we, we have seen. No, you just want to make me angry at Red Bull. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> They, they deserve it, honestly. I mean, but the I've conduct been ra- coming out of this weekend, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that was wrong. Well, it is. But Yas doesn't think it's wrong. And Christian Horner's not going to tell him it's wrong because Helmut thinks it's fine. Well, Christian and, made his own comments. And they all are their own echo chamber of, oh, it's totally okay to be rude and insensitive and be a poor winner. And... You know, I'm sorry, but obviously they never got hauled behind the baseball field told that you can't be a poor winner. And it's equally bad to be a poor winner as it is to be a poor loser. But then again, I dislike uh, Max considerably because he's a poor winner. And mm-hmm. he's a he's a sour loser and he's a poor winner. And he's not gracious at anything. And I have a problem with that. And, you know... Years ago, when when Max was over, and and we joked about this at the time, to be honest with you, when when Max was still driving for Toro Rosso, paired up with Carlos Sainz, you'll remember there was an incident in Singapore, I think it was, where the team wanted him to give up a a position to Carlos. Mm Mm-hmm. And we joked about it because he said no. And he said the reason why he wouldn't do it is because when he got back, if his father found out, he would have he punched him in the balls. And we thought it was funny at the time. And it kind of was. But now that you look at it in hindsight and you go, oh, the Max that we see today, that was the same crap we saw back then. Yeah. He's not a team player. Mm-hmm. And... That's... Well, he's he's a team player as long as all of the team is behind him. Right. If it's Team Max, it's one thing. Yeah. If it's the collective team, whatever that collective team is, mm-hmm. whether it's Team Red Bull or Team Formula One or any of those things, he's not a team player. And, you know, I'm sorry. That's what we were all taught in the schoolyard that we should be first and foremost as a team player. Because you really do get further if you play with the team. So speaking of the team, 
The team believes they have figured out and fixed the problem that caused Max to not finish in Australia. It was a fuel line issue, which is why the car the car caught fire oh. and torched itself. So they think it is better now. Okay, well, that's good to hear. I mean, so so far he's made it a race. Um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Well, isn't he running one race off, one race on, one race off, one race on? Yeah, we'll see what happens in Miami. <laughs> um, there was a lot of talk at the end of Q2 this past weekend because Lewis got knocked out and he was seen in the back of the garage having a heated discussion with Toto Wolf mm. um, and started raising the questions of does this mean that there is a, a rift in the team and, and a split may be coming and things are, are, are turning sour. Um, so Toto was asked about this and, and Toto actually explained that, well, no, actually we were both upset and we were both upset about the same thing. And it was, according to Toto, they were both upset over the fact that the warm up process that they needed for the tires was making it hard for him to push. And that that was causing frustration with everybody uh, is what Toto says. Okay. Don't know, but that's what he says. So if you saw the footage, Toto Wolf says, no, everybody was pissed off. He's not pissed at us. And this is, remember, team of no blame here. So. (laughs) It was a collective purging of anger. Yeah. Okay. So George Russell says that the porpoising has gotten so bad that he's dealing with back and chest pains at this point. Oh, poor guy. Um, Yeah, he he says it's pretty rough. Uh, The team does say... Um, that now Miami, they're targeting for some upgrades that they think will help. Um, they are, they're, they're very clear that the problem that they're dealing with right now is the porpoising and the perform, the lack of performance that they're dealing with is because the porpoising is making them lift the ride height up to try and keep the porpoising from getting completely out of control. But when you lift the ride height up, you lose the aerodynamic efficiency and the car runs slower. So they're losing pace. They think think they've got some things planned they're hoping to see some improvement in miami this coming week um and assuming that works even more improvement coming to barcelona okay does that mean that they're going to be challenging for podiums and challenging for wins i don't know let's just get them to a point where they're back in in the heat. Before we start going the swing from not making it out of Q2 to challenging from podiums, let's just get them back in Q3. You know, take yeah. this in steps here. Well, I think the other thing at this point that we have to watch, and, and admittedly, a couple of times that Lewis has missed out on podiums, it's because of safety car mistimings and odd pit stops and, and, and things like that. But that wasn't the case at Imola. That was more of a a pure pace issue that Lewis has not had the pace that George has. Mm -hmm. And that is something I think we do need to watch. That part, yes, we need to figure that out. And, and, And Well, it also becomes the question of, is this George Russell's demonstrated skill to... Drive really well in a turd of a car? (laughs) Or is this a matter of this new formula and this new design is something that just does not suit Lewis? And the struggles that Mercedes having are just amplifying the fact that this new formula doesn't suit Lewis. And I don't know which it is. I don't think anybody knows that answer yet. But I think we have to watch I don't it. know. Because, again, George has proven that he can take a turd of a car and make it run really well. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> but that's also the story and history of Fernando Alonso. True. So, I mean, that just means that George is a really good driver. <laughs> True. And Lewis has been known to outdrive cars. Yeah. And he's also... Fairly well known for being very adaptable in cars versus having a car need to be set up for his style. He tends to be a fairly adaptable driver. 
and yet he's struggling. So I want to, I actually want to propose that there could be another option that I think that, and this is going to sound crazy. I think that age is also factoring into this. Oh, it could be. George is so much younger, which is great, but that what they're fighting, the porpoising, the fact that it's hurting George's chest and back. Can you imagine how much worse that is on a 36 year old? Yeah. I mean, Lewis, I mean, by my standards, is still a baby, <laughs> but Lewis isn't young anymore. And maybe George's body can take a little bit more and can handle a little bit more so that he can, he is able to outdrive a little bit just from the sheer physicality of it. You know, extra points for youth. Look who's up in the front. It could be. So that's my theory. So this week is the Miami Grand Prix. It is. I, I got to say, in, well, actually, yeah, I, I, I got to say, in, in looking at what we're seeing, this actually may be a promising race. At least it holds promise to be better than what we have historically seen out of Paul Ricard. We'll say that. Which, by the way, you are setting the lowest bar. I am setting a fairly low bar. This has the potential to be a better race than Azerbaijan tends to be. Okay. More interesting. Um, I have been seeing that there's been a lot of talk about um, the, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, the harbor, and I use air quotes there, the harbor (laughs) that they were setting up in the infield. Remember Mm -hmm. with the boats and everything? So pictures have actually come out. It's it's been built. Um, The quote-unquote harbor doesn't actually have water in it. So I thought at least they were like building a man-made pond or something. Now, admittedly, you know, this is South Florida. And when you have bodies of water freestanding, alligators tend to just show up. They they, they spawn out of just nothing. It's weird. Um, Um, But... As do mosquitoes. Yeah. Which is the state bird. So actually, there is no water here. It is a solid surface that kind of has an artistic impression of water. And there's boats in it. There's, I mean, there's large boats in it. There's a pier and everything. But it's this artistic impression of water. So the running joke right now is that really what Formula One needs to do in order to make everybody's weekend is to have Antonio Giovinazzi walk out off the pier and across Miami Harbor. <laughs> Okay. Well, it, it's tied to the running. Ever since Antonio Giovinazzi has um, grown his hair out, mm. and did this last year, the the running joke has been that he bears a striking resemblance um, to somebody who is the main focal point of the Easter holiday, and I don't mean the Easter Bunny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some folks were calling him the Italian Jesus. So, <laughs> righty. So yes, having him walk across Miami Harbor would be hysterical. <laughs> okay. So, um, a lot of talk about the design and the work that's been done around the track. One of the areas that we talked about was the fact that the track passes underneath the exit ramps for Florida's Turnpike into the stadium complex. Correct. And it does. Well, it turns out that that complex, which is going to be turns 13, 14, and 15, pose some challenges that I wouldn't have expected for the design team of the track. So on one hand, you know, it impacts sight lines. Um, The weave through there works really well. There's some elevation changes there. Uh, The biggest problem that they ran into, they said the lead design engineer for the project said the whole sequence was a real engineering challenge. Um, The concept design required them to route the track through the zone and get beneath the first overpass. However, the FIA has a regulation that requires at least four meters of clearance. But as we had to tie into the levels of the turnpike slip road that has a 7% crossfall, the track surface was climbing just at the point where they needed it to be falling. Oh. Yeah. And of course, they couldn't move the ramp. 
Yeah, that, that's a problem. <laughs> that's, that, that's an issue. He said there's also an, F, uh, an F1 regulation about the rate of change of elevation linked to the square of the speed of the car. So this design basically threads the needle in three dimensions to ensure that cars go slowly enough to align with the camber of the crossing and then get back under the overpass. Oh, my. <coughs> he said, we've created this dramatic corner sequence where you have a sharp chicane, which has a minimum design speed of 80 kilometers per hour to meet the rate of change regulation. And it's also completely blind for the drivers because of the elevation change. We simulated over 10 design iterations here to achieve the 2D and 3D geometry required to thread the needle. We're right on the limitations of design in this area. In this location, we're having to install the debris fence from behind the barrier because there is no room to lift the debris fence over the barrier. Oh, no. <laughs> this sounds like it could potentially be a problem. I, I, I don't think so. It could be in. So what they're really hoping is, is that between this and they said that this section of the track f f follows a, a tight left hander at turn 11 that exits into a flowing right hander through turn 12, which is off camber and create a challenge in itself as the cars will be high lo highly loaded on the approach. But they're hoping that this turn 11 to turn 16 complex essentially that they built will be conducive to drivers making mistakes mm -hmm. that's what i'm thinking is yeah. that's got uh if they're threading the needle from an engineering standpoint then the drivers are going to have to thread the needle from a driving standpoint which has the ability to make them miss the needle yeah so the the designer says that i think the turn 11 to 16 sequence feature some great corners and hopefully the drivers will find it challenging with the new cars They'll have to prepare while they're coming through the previous right-hander. So not only can you not see the apex, you'll have a lateral load on the car under braking while spotting the apex to make the corner. In qualifying, I think it'll be a truly make-or-break corner for overall lap time. So hoping that this is the case. The other thing that, that's important to point out here, this is not a tilky draw nice this track was designed by apex circuit design of the uk and by the way the official name is the miami international autodrome okay not not your favorite name of a, of a race the emilia romano mare in italy you, you either Grand Prix Los Pollos Humanos. Yes. No. Well, so what they could actually do is call it the Miami International Autodrome at the Hard Rock Stadium, <laughs> Miami Gardens, Florida. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, they could. They won't, but yes, they could. So that's not the, you know, normally, there, so there, there's some other engineering stuff that happened here. And, and normally one of the things that we don't talk about is the pavement and the asphalt. Except that one track where they brought it in from somewhere in Britain, and we had to talk about that every time we went there. Every, every, well, it's because you're watching the British coverage, and they've got to talk about the fact that it came from, like, Shropshire's. And, and is that spa that they talk about that? Or is it no. one of the Arabian races? I think it's Bahrain. It might be Bahrain. So this one, they went with local asphalt. but And we've talked... You hear a, a bit about it in Russia. They talk about how the, the track isn't abrasive. And we hear that in several other tracks. The track's not abrasive enough. We don't have tire degradation. And there, there's arguments as whether or not that's good or bad for, for the sport and, and all of that. Um, but this is local asphalt and a local mixture that they used here. Okay. Yeah. Again, on one hand, it's like, really? And then the other, you hear about this. So... Paving the track required 24,000 tons of asphalt. It was laid out over 85,000 yards um, for three lanes essentially wide um, and an average track of 50 feet width. Um, the ex expected lap time of the track is supposed to be 1 minute 35 seconds on average and an average speed of just under 135 miles an hour. So... Right about on par with what goes on on the Florida's Turnpike. Yeah, exactly. Right there. I mean, you know, that that's fine. Mm 
I, I would say I-95, except that there's always traffic jam because yeah. somebody's gotten in an accident and they're still waiting for the safety well, car. See, that's why they put in the high-speed sun pass lanes on the turnpike so that they could accommodate 135. Anyway, construction scheduling had to be choreographed around multiple events at the stadium, including, oh, the Miami Dolphins <laughs> games. There was a jazz music festival and the Miami Open tennis tournament. Um, they had to make sure that the asphalt went down at least 60 days ahead of the race weekend it's required by the fia that you have to have your asphalt down 60 days so that it can cure and you know when that doesn't happen just look at turkey yeah exactly that, that's that's what that was but there was a lot of research into what the pavement is made out of to work properly so Sam Worthy, who was the project director for this, said, um, right now, if you look at the track, you can see lime rock aggregate peek through right now because the top layer of the binding is coming off. You can see white specks in it. He says, normally, lime rock is a poor aggregate for use on F1 tracks. He says it's, it's friable, which means it chips, and two, it polishes. Polishes makes it smooth. You don't get the wear. He says, so you usually don't get good tire degradation and grip is reduced. But in southern Florida, the predominant aggregate is a more abrasive lime rock. They call them snowbirds. No. <laughs> <laughs> they wear socks with sandals. Anyway, no. His predominant aggregate is a more abrasive lime rock. He said, our asphalt specialists, R3, looked into the local aggregate and they said they'd seen nothing like it throughout the world. Again, Snowbird. <laughs> As it is much harder than expected and res and will result with the mix of 60% U.S. mine granite from Georgia in suitable abrasiveness in our asphalt mix. R3 has been involved with most recent F1 tracks in some ways, so their exposure to data from other venues gives us good reference. What R3 found in South Florida is that our lime rock is unique because it has a very high silica content. Its texture is like little shards of glass. So as the lime rock itself breaks down and degrades, it exposes more of the silica. So you get an effect where it contains, it maintains a much higher degradation than you'd usually get in with lime rock elsewhere in the world. Um, the granite was brought in by train from Georgia. So the mix is an innovative combination of granite and lime rock that is all locally sourced. It's nowhere near what people thought we'd have originally. They're very pleased with the results they got. But the other thing is the, the track surface itself and how flat it is. Not from that perspective of flat from an elevation change, but the fact that the pavement has to have a certain level of smoothness no matter what to host a race. Mm -hmm. he, he said that the team is very proud of what we've achieved in terms of track flatness. A lot of hard work was put into that because while local contractors were very good at what they do with their methodology, their technology was lacking. We had concerns with that. While, when we mentioned what the FIA specs were for laying asphalt, they said, it's impossible to get that smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and yet? Explains a lot about Florida's roads. It does. <laughs> okay, see also, Florida man. Um, yeah. But... And yet, 21 other venues apparently can do it. Well, yeah. But again, they went to the, the local contractors in Florida and said, this is what we're looking. And actually, what surprises me more than that is that we know for a fact that there's a contractor who's got experience paving Daytona. Right. Were they not called? I mean, I, I get it. You... You're not looking for them to go and hang paving machines off the walls because the bank is so steep here. But I would have thought that they would have had the skills to provide the right level of pavement here. Okay. Sebring is really bad. Don't look at whoever did Sebring. That's bad. Okay, but now, I mean, do remember your Florida geography. Day <laughs> Daytona is in central Florida. Miami is in the Banana Republic of Miami-Dade. True. That is a separate country, and they may or may not work with the county of Volusia County that Daytona is in. 
I don't think they speak the same language. So what they did. Yes. First off, they went to contractors in Europe and, and, and said. Um, Help. Yeah. <laughs> he said they relied on specialist contractors to lay the asphalt itself, although the base rock layer and subgrade and first two structural lifts of the asphalt was overbuilt by the local contractors. So they had the local folks do the, the, the bottom, the foundation. The grunt work. Which, which uh, Florida again, really? You want them to do the foundation? <laughs> you sure? You sure about this plan? <laughs> He said, on completion of those first base layers, they LIDAR scanned the entire track in order to generate a full 3D mesh of that surface prior to milling and final paving. Then they worked with a construction company from upstate New York who used GPS-controlled micro-milling to build the second layer of asphalt to the design standards. I mean, it's crazy the, the level of engineering to do this to make sure that there were no weird bumps like the rest of Florida's roads. <laughs> I mean, this isn't a street track. It's not intended to be a street track. Correct. So your argument about it, it being in a parking lot, um, they were actually going pretty above and beyond to make sure it, it's, it's not in the parking lot. Give them props for it. Now, show me that it's not a Paul Ricard experience that, that that's going to be the question that really is yeah that's all i need to know so the other thing that our, our last story and again going back to the last time we recorded um we mentioned that there was an emergency case filed with uh miami-dade county courts to try and block the race and file another injunction the the effort is again being led by uh former Miami-Dade County Commissioner Betty Ferguson. She's the one who's been leading the efforts to try and block the race for several years now with with limited levels of success. Um, Residents have cited an engineering firm's report which claims that noise produced by the cars will be up to 97 decibels, similar to that produced by a chainsaw and would be heard at homes within 2.5 miles of the stadium. Now, Again, we've lived in Florida. Mm-hmm. 95 decibels, sound of a chainsaw. And I get that 2.5 miles of the stadium is kind of a big, big area. But go driving through any Florida neighborhood during the day, especially on a weekday, and you get as much noise if not more from the average landscaping contractor of which there's probably five or six operating on the block at the same time so but my apple watch tells me that anything sustained over 90 decibels for 30 minutes can lead to hearing loss and these people would have to be enduring that for up to three hours so i mean they they would and, and and that's true now, the judge who's hearing the case has questioned whether unavoidable harm would be caused and is considering whether residents should simply stay inside their homes or wear earplugs during track activity. Because that's the other thing to remember is, yes, the race is going to run through that whole period, mm-hmm. you know, for three days, but cars aren't on the track that whole time. And sessions run maybe an hour, hour, hour to two hours with half hour gaps between them at the stadium, which can get pretty loud in its own right. And more than that, if you've been to the stadium and you're familiar with the area, between, yes, there is residential nearby, but at least to the north, and to the east, separating the stadium from the residential area is Florida's turnpike with noise walls and barriers and all of those various pieces. I kind of question how much louder the track is going to be compared to the noise that comes off the turnpike. In all seriousness, with all the trucks that go by, and, and the, it is a very heavily traveled road. And I question how much of the noise from the track 
is going to make it past the noise wall that is the turnpike. I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't. I, I don't know what these people are going to experience. Um, but I think that what you were telling me earlier was that the judge is asking that them to prove that this is unavoidable. Well, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure, like logistically, how you can prove that you cannot leave your house. And that, you know, and inside the walls of your house, what's the decibel levels versus how would you... uh how would you prove that it is unavoidable that you stand in your backyard during race times so that it's as obnoxious as possible? I mean, like you got to think about the number of sound deadening options that are coming between you and the track. mm -hmm. And and I, those who are to the North and East, I think have less of an argument here and, and less of a way that they can show that, it's actually going to generate the noise that they think it is. Now, those to the south and the west might, mm-hmm. but there's still a fairly decent gap. And I, I just, I, I don't know. And, you know, I, I look at this, I remember the number of times that, that we drive out to, we would drive to mid-Ohio with our windows open and you didn't hear the noise from that track until we were almost at the track. Yeah. This isn't the V8, so I just, I don't know. Well, honestly, I think at this point, they're going to have to go through a race, and then we'll see what the lawsuits are after the race. Because that's the next, that's the next iteration. And see what, what justification they have at that point. Right. Because I, I, I think their case right now is weak mm-hmm. at best. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. I. But we do have a race this weekend. Uh, I'm hoping it, it, it turns out well. I really am. I'm hoping this is a worthy addition to the Formula One calendar. As much as, yeah, I'm, I'm not excited for Miami over anywhere else. And, and I question, do we really need three races? At the very least, if it's going to be on the calendar, I'm hoping it's a worthy addition, and I'm hoping it earns its place, and we're not going, oh, great, we're going to Miami, just like, oh, great, we're going to Paul Ricard. So. I agree with you. Um, I mean, I want it to look good for F1 as they're expanding in the U.S., which is their largest expanding market. I want it to look good for them. Um, I think they could have chosen better places. But if you're going to double down on this, I hope you do it well. I I think they have, from the pictures I have seen, I think they have done a very good job for the track to represent itself visually. Well, that's what you and can hope for. visually, I think it looks better than what we see at Paul Ricard and at some of these other tracks. So we'll see how the rest of it plays out. Well, that's all you can hope for. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. <laughs>